Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Ian, who is a leader at Intertrust, and we're going to talk about how private equity firms and venture capital and other private capital players are organized so that actually they can get you, founders, the money that you need. Ian, welcome. How are you today? Excellent, Rui. How are you? All right. So great to reconnect. We obviously met at Credit Suisse a while back and then you worked at uh, BNP and now you are at Intertrust. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background? How did you get to do what you do today? Sure. Um, look, I've been involved in the financial service industry for you know 20, 25 years at this point, mostly in the alternative space. I started off one of the major players in that space, being Citgo back in the late 90s, and uh, took up various roles with those, set up offices across the world with them. And from there, went into investment banking, where our two paths collided, really. In my time in prime brokerage for uh, Credit Suisse, they were looking to expand their product portfolio and wanted to get into fund servicing businesses. And uh, we acquired a business in 2011, which was uh, an old a business out of Fortis, which I led the transaction with your good self. Ended up running that business for a while, and we then sold that business on to BMP Bariba maybe three or four years later. And at BNP Paribas Security Services, I ended up running alternative investors with two businesses, really a hedge fund servicing business. And obviously, hedge funds have gone through dramatic growth um, from the 2000s forward. And a private equity business, uh, which we globalized. Two of those businesses catered towards our alternative clients. And from there, I decided I want to get out of the, the larger banks and do something different. And uh I took a role with a with a medium-sized publicly listed company called Intertrust, which, funnily enough, had spun out of Fortis as well back in 2011. So what does Intertrust provide? And maybe if you just focus on the alternative space and the clients that you've got. Yeah, look, I think Intertrust is one of the leading providers of, of administrative services globally to corporates, to specialized administrative services, if you like, to corporates, to uh, the fund industry, to capital markets providers, and also to private wealth. Right. So you said admin services and things like this. So sure. that sounds like it includes many small tasks, right? So I guess leveraging technology is the only way to do it at scale. So what's the technology behind your solution? Or is it patchwork of systems and the IT infrastructure is very complex? Or how does that look like under the hood? Yeah, look, I think there's a framework of different systems that are required in the private equity space or private capital space. We define private capital as real estate, uh, private equity, and private debt, uh, and infrastructure is, is under private capital, even though four underlyings almost need a different operational infrastructure. So we try to provide a framework, and that's a, a fairly flexible framework, because if I'm um, a real estate provider, my core platform might be something like a Yardi. If I'm a private equity provider, my core system might be something like Invest. Tran. So there's different general ledger providers, if you like, for the different asset classes. Where we think we've got an edge and we spend a lot of time 
is what we build around those core systems. No two operating model is the same in private capital. You need a flexibility in an operating and a technology model to cater for your client's need. And some of our customers are so big now, they're almost like mini investment banks in themselves. So sometimes, more often than not, you're not doing the entire infrastructure or operational framework for the client, but you're doing different pieces of it. So I think that kind of bespoke attitude that we have works really well. I think our, our ability to do certain pieces of tasks for clients that, that, that are important to them, that particular time is very important. And I think where, do, where we do really well with clients is clients who are scaling and they're scaling quickly. Um, you know, We tend to come in and help them solve some of their operational issues, help them outsource certain things, provide systems for certain things, but really catering to their needs at a certain point in time is a critical thing for us. And are you able to develop it in-house with your team or how does that work? Yeah, so I, I think we've got a, a very nice blend of, as I said, industry-leading kind of software platforms uh, that I mentioned, and then our own in-house engineering team. So we've got 150 engineers uh, based in our uh, engineering center in, in, in India. And so we develop a lot of our own technology. And again, when you're developing satellites rather than the core, I think that really helps a client. So you can really fix bespoke or you know certain issues to them. It could be a reconciliation issue that they have. It could be a pricing issue. It could be a shadowing issue. And we can drop in and provide those standalone rather than just providing the entire bundle. I see. I see. Do you have a preference sometimes... When you look at incumbents, for example, the banks, they look at open innovation, but there is a bit of a tension there because they are using, let's say, B2B infrastructure fintechs, and they probably have a very complex IT infrastructure. So the customization and integration is so complex that these fintechs would have to become like their consultants. They cannot build a product that they can then sell to other people. So when you work with other vendors, do you also work with, let's say, early stage vendors and how do you see open innovation is this something that you actively leverage yeah look it's a really good point rudy and something that i think is is never an easy one to answer obviously the smaller company startups coming to market have the most innovative technologies and, and that's a big plus and they're solving things quickly which is great the problem you have, have as a, a regulated institution is how solid are these underlying companies and if something happens like a data breach and it's a small company are your investors going to forgive you and is a regulator going to forgive you and a lot of times companies favoring the larger uh, software houses where software is a bit more tried and tested which can be a little bit of a disadvantage because you are giving up a little bit on innovation. So it's trying to find that mix is what we're always trying to do. But it also sounds that you lean on your in-house IT team a lot, whereas sometimes in incumbents, they've gone through a lot of cost cutting. And so they have a bit of a different issue as well, which is either we give it to our in-house team that's never done it before. But other than that, we need to cut the costs or we give it to somebody from outside. Yeah, and I think, look, on costs, obviously, the, the engineering team is a core part of our product, so not something that we're cutting cost on at any time. It's something we're always looking to expand that team. Obviously, there's a war for talent going on right now across the globe in technology uh, positions, but you know, we, we continue to invest in that. I think you make a very valid point that, obviously, startups come in, can help plug some gaps, and that's important too, and that's something that we'll always look to if it's going to help our clients. For right now, for the majority of our business, we have our core platforms that are developed externally, which are core, best-in-class, industry-wide systems, and developing then the kind of proprietary side on top of that. But that's been a very good avenue for us, and it's something that's really worked for us.
Right, understood. Now maybe one last thing on this, like in from a bigger picture view, do you think that these startups, if they are early stage, and of course you are in the regulated industry, so you cannot really take a lot of chances uh, if this goes badly. Do you think that these startups can partner up with established vendors that you have? Sometimes people do that and yeah. they yeah, yeah, partner yeah. up with uh, some big technology consultants and they vouch for them, so to speak, and therefore the bigger clients are a little bit more comfortable working with them. Do you think that works or it's just a myth? I think that works. I've seen that a couple of times where you know either a consultancy has been consolidating some technologies under their own banner or their white labeling or whatever, which I think helps because you know the liability is obviously sitting them with the bigger partner. So certainly for a startup, I think it's an interesting way to to get sizable deals quicker. I think as a small firm, you'll continue to get your ones and twos, but it's if you want to you know take in a big institutional name, sometimes it's worth having that partner to help you do that. Right. How do you distinguish yourself from your competitors, though? I think you know, in, in many different ways, I think our geographical reach is one of the things. Our expertise is another thing. We've been in the business a long time, Rudy. I mean, Intertrust was founded back in 1952, so we're 70 years in the business today. And in an industry where you're being relied on for your local knowledge, um, I, I think that history is very important. So we certainly de- you know, define ourselves on our expertise, on our people, obviously, that, that bring that expertise. And then our ability to solve complexity. I think we like complexity and we think we're pretty unusual that we go in with a with an open mind for complexity and really look to help our clients solve some of the biggest issues. So you mentioned geographical reach. Of course, you're based in Dublin in Ireland, but I think the Intertrust is headquartered in Amsterdam. So where are you present? Uh, we're present everywhere across the globe, from from the US, South America, all the way through you know, Europe, very strong in Europe. That's where our roots are in Europe. But then right across into Asia and all the way down as far as New Zealand. So the sun really doesn't set on the intertrust. That's what I wanted to say. People in your business, they talk about following the sun, but you chose the other direction. You're going for the sunset, but in any case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're pretty much you know everywhere where we need to be. And, and again, look, a lot of our, our business stem from corporations and globalization you know globalizing you know over the last uh, 70 years and whether that's a, an auto company coming out of the US getting access into Europe and getting access into Asia that's a very well worn path for us obviously and we're the ones providing them their local expertise we're providing their entities their local directors etc and uh, where their eyes and ears in the ground and I think that's a service that we've been synonymous for a long time but also from the rest of the world into the US and we do that for corporates very well and obviously private equity has been a big part of that need for entities over the last kind of 20 or 30 years and it's again helping those private equity firms manage their assets across the globe I think is where we fit in. And so in general you work a lot with private capital players and I bet you have seen a steady increase in private capital versus public capital over the years so do you think this trend will also continue in the world of rising interest rates because last 15 years we had zero or negative interest rates of course people were searching for yields so that benefited private capital like private equity or or venture capital as well. But now that the markets have been turning for worse, I guess, this year, what do you think the outlook could be for the near future? Look, I think private equity is is in a good space. I think it's been a, a great asset class. It's performed very well in a backdrop of lower rates. I think as rates go higher, I think, look, private equity is not lacking on, on, on equity as well. Obviously, there's debt used in the structures quite a bit, but but there there is also a lot of equity in that space. And I feel 
investors kind of like the lack of lack of volatility, if you like, and looking at the markets the last couple of weeks, you know, I think people will feel you're know, comfortable in private equity not having to deal with that volatility. Um, you know, will is your will you know interest rates rising? Will, will it make it a bit harder on returns? Yeah, I think it'll make it a bit harder returns, but I don't think the returns will be you know overly impacted by higher leverage levels. As I said, there's I think there's plenty of equity in those structures too. Right, I guess in the very early days. Uh... This was about cutting costs and putting up as much as leverage as possible. But I think in the last few years, many private equity players have also distinguished themselves through different ways. They had added operational partners. They were doing the add-on or you know consolidation in their space. So potentially that could be another angle versus just the interest rates going up, even though if they're going up, the maybe the economy is tougher, right? Yeah, look, the broader economy may obviously suffer on higher interest rates with also the, obviously the central banks shrinking their balance sheets. Overall, consumer still seems strong in the US in particular. Let's, let's see how far these interest rates go. Are we seeing a, a temporary blip in inflation or a more long-term inflationary factor? I, I think we'll have to see, but I think private equity as an asset class has established itself very well and I think is going to continue to grow strongly over the next while, you know, particularly the uh, spaces like the private debt space. Right. Now, you mentioned that you are present all around the globe, your clients are everywhere. How do you deal with tax and other regulations? Yeah, look, uh, obviously, we're regulated in most of our jurisdictions, and we abide by whatever laws we're in, in every jurisdiction we're in. So we're, we are regulated in a lot of our areas. And we obviously being regulated have significant rules that we need to follow and adhere by. And as a firm, we firmly see ourselves fulfilling a kind of gatekeeper uh, role within the broader um, industry, within the broader economy. Of course, however, you're there as a profit organization or for-profit organization. So mm -hmm. how do you make money? What's your business model? And if you compare it to, for example, banks or wealth managers, they try to talk about the recurring revenues, fees and things like this. How, how does that relate to you? How, how do you make money? Yeah, our business is a recurring fee model business. We charge set fees for, for, for certain tasks and we charge time and materials for, for other tasks. But we're predominantly a service business that, that's people driven. And uh, we really generate a re revenue based on recurring. So it's the recurring fees, so based on AUM of your clients, etc. Right? Yeah, probably a bit more fixed fee than just AUM. Obviously, we've got half of our business as as funds as its clients. But I would say the majority of the revenue under that, underneath that is not the super majority is not basis point uh, driven. So it's not driven by AUM. It's dri driven on fixed fees based on kind of scope of work. I see. All right. Now. We talked about it that you're based in Dublin, Ireland. Can you tell us more about your team and how big is it? What is your role? Maybe let's back up on this a little bit within sure. Intertrust. So I'm a chief commercial officer at Intertrust. So I'm running the commercial organization. And the commercial organization is probably about uh, probably about 100 people thereabouts. And within that, we've got our, our sales teams. We've got our marketing team. We've got our global relationship management team. And, and then we also have our kind of what we call our, our service line. So we have guys who actually run the, the service line so that the go to markets, et cetera, for our four service lines, which are, as I mentioned earlier, our private wealth, capital markets, funds and corporate services. Sounds great. I think it's obvious to everyone that if you're looking for commercial solutions at Intertrust, this is going to be quick, right? <laughs> no beating around the bush. But before we let you go back to business, maybe last two easy questions. First of all, do you have a favorite business book that you could recommend? Some people have a 
view that, look, I don't like business books. Everybody's just talking about how great they are. And I only like the ones about failures and how difficult it is by Ben Horowitz, how hard thing about hard things. But other people, actually, they have a huge list. So what's your take on this topic? God, I've got a few probably, but I, I, I think one of the more unusual business books, and I don't think it's a business book, but it, it applies to business so much, is, is a book writ- written about the All Blacks New Zealand rugby team called Legacy. I think that that's a very interesting book. Uh, it talks a lot about culture, excellence. And, and I think if you compare that to Jim Collins' Good to Great, you'd have a lot of things that cover across. One's a sports team, one's a business. But, but I think that to me was a, a fascinating book and one of my favorite business books and then some of the kind of older business books some of the biographies uh, I always found, found anything on Richard Branson very interesting pure entrepreneur and and then anything on uh, you know here in Ireland obviously one of our most successful businesses uh, is Ryanair the, the low-cost airline and I think um, learning to fly which is a book on Michael O'Leary and, and that business model I thought was uh, intriguing as well oh wonderful great stuff you also mentioned Jim Collins I I did a micro course on Emeritus Insights on a follow on this book, it's, which is called Build to Last, right? So yeah. on, on uh, you know, visionary companies that last more than uh, five days. He, he looked at companies that lasted for decades and why they were superior to their competitors in their industry. So great stuff, all the great tips as well. So thank you so much. We'll put the links in the show notes. So what is the best way to reach out, Ian, and what would be people that you would like to hear from most? Ah, look, anybody who's got a business, they're looking to expand it around the world or a fund looking to expand. We'd love to talk to those people. You know, feel free to come to me directly at, at Intertrust or via LinkedIn. That was probably the easiest way to, to get to me. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ian, and good luck to you and Intertrust. Thanks, Rudy. Good to talk to you again. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.